Welcome to episode 151 of the Truth Quest podcast, the truth about leftist lunacy, shoplifting, and Uber. Before we get started, I want to ask you to do me a favor and share the show. If you're on social media and topics such as leftist lunacy, critical race theory, the trial of Officer Derek Chauvin, the gun show loophole, or illegal immigration comes up, please share the topic-specific TruthQuest episode with your debate partner. Episodes are available on a host of platforms, including iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, Brighteon, BitChute, ThinkSpot, Rumble, and Instagram, where I post a short highlight of each show at instagram.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. Whatever platform you may be listening to this on, please take a moment and give it a five-star rating or leave a positive review. Another way you can help grow the show is to throw a small donation my way at the TruthQuest podcast patronage page. All donations will be used to drive awareness of the podcast through online advertising. See this episode's show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com for details. And finally, please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. The way I prepare episodes of this podcast is first I maintain a list of what is now about a 65-page document where I jot down ideas for topics that I want to talk about. I collect articles on the various topics, and when the time feels right, I dive in and start reading and researching and put my thoughts together. Obviously, current events heavily influence my episode selection, but occasionally something will push me to dust off one of my topics. This is what happened today when I heard that some national drugstore chains had closed down a bunch of stores in the San Francisco area due to rampant shoplifting. Then I remembered something on my list. I wrote down Uber in California. So I dusted those notes off. I couldn't help but produce this short episode as both of these stories so clearly demonstrate left-wing lunacy. Consider this episode an object lesson to anyone who stands idly by while lunatic liberals ruin cities, neighborhoods, economies, livelihoods, and as is often the case with policies implemented by these folks, they hurt their own constituents. At a recent San Francisco Board of Supervisors hearing, representatives from Walgreens said that theft at its stores in San Francisco were four times the chain's national average and that it had closed 17 stores over the last five years, largely because the scale of thefts have made the business untenable. They went on to explain that the situation is so bad now that shoplifters aren't even discreet. They do not even attempt to hide their crimes. Well, how can that be? What, what is this all about? Well, it all stems from something called the Safe Neighborhoods and Schools Act, or Proposition 47, the 2014 ballot measure that reclassified nonviolent thefts as misdemeanors if the stolen goods were less than $950. Lawmakers who advocated for it claimed it was designed to prevent the occasional shoplifter, quote, forced to steal, end quote, from developing a criminal record. So they made it a nonviolent misdemeanor with a maximum sentence of six months. In theory, simple shoplifting under $950 in value results in the offender's release with a slap on the wrist warning not to do it again. In practice, it allowed repeat offenders to steal with impunity as long as they stayed under the $950 threshold per store visit. It's been reported that some shoplifters operate with a calculator to make sure they stay under the limit. Merchants watch helplessly as people help themselves to items in broad daylight and walk out of the store. 
Police are often reluctant to stop them since they know the criminals will be soon back on the streets because charges are rarely pressed. More on that in a minute. The San Francisco Chronicle blames organized crime and homelessness and poverty and drug addiction. But as you will see, all of those are either cop-outs by left-wingers or the consequences of these left-wingers' lunacy and politically induced mental illness. A simple comparison of the California Penal Code to other states like Illinois and Texas, which actually enforces their laws properly, tells much of the story. In Illinois, shoplifting goods worth under $300 can land you in jail for over a year. In Texas, shoplifting under $1,000 of merchandise comes with fines of around $4,000 and up to a year in jail. Back to San Francisco. Rampant shoplifting isn't the only problem faced by San Francisco residents and visitors. This is the same city where they allowed the homeless problem to get so out of control that some enterprising entrepreneur created an app that warns visitors to the once great city of San Francisco how to avoid human feces in the city. In 2018, the city assigned six workers to the poop patrol detail to rid the streets of human waste. So, here's the money question. Why is San Francisco the only city with rampant shoplifting? If the problem stems from a change in the California law, why aren't other cities in the state seeing similar spikes in shoplifting? San Francisco District Attorney Chessa Bolden deserves the blame for the city's problems. As we discuss this guy, you need to know one thing. His view of justice stems from his view that his parents were given excessively harsh sentences for a crime committed when he was a child. See, they were domestic terrorists, members of radical leftist anti-war group called the Weather Underground, and they took part in a planned armed robbery that killed three people. His mother, Kathy, served more than 22 years in prison before she was released in 2003. His father is still serving his sentence. Hey, Chessa, three people died because of your parents' actions. What about their families? This guy's a jackass. But it isn't all unbolded. His predecessor, George Kaskin, subscribed to a similar theory of justice. During his nine-year term in San Francisco, property crime rose by nearly 40%. So basically, the people of San Francisco are getting the type of DA that they deserve. Back to Bolden. Responding to the ACLU questionnaire published in the San Francisco Chronicle before the, his election, Bowden said, quote, We will not prosecute cases involving quality-of-life crimes, crimes such as public camping, offering or soliciting sex, public urination, blocking a sidewalk, etc., should not and will not be prosecuted, end quote. When Bowden won his election... Senator Bernie Sanders celebrated with this gem of a tweet, quote, Now is the moment to fundamentally transform our racist and broken criminal justice system by ending mass incarceration, the failed war on drugs, and the criminalization of poverty. Congratulations, Chesa Bowden, on your historic victory, end quote. Criminalization of poverty. Oh my goodness. Another example of what I discussed in the last episode, number 150, the truth about critical race theory. The left's desire to control the language, which allows them to control the narrative. I referenced abortion, which is framed as a choice. Marriage is whatever you want it to be. Boys participating in girls' sports is acceptable. There are not just two genders, there are as many of them as you can imagine. 
We've got equity and social justice, economic justice, environmental justice, racial justice, unconscious bias, white supremacy, white fragility, and white privilege. Now we have the criminalization of poverty. Just another example of how the left refuses to hold people to a standard of personal responsibility. Nope, let government kiss all your boo-boos and fix all of your problems. Government is the answer to every question. What is most disconcerting is their unwillingness to accept social norms, such as those documented in the Ten Commandments. You know, thou shalt not steal, covet, murder, stuff like that. It doesn't matter how poor you are. Stealing is wrong and illegal. Just because you are poor doesn't grant you permission to take other people's stuff. This is second grade logic, folks. If you take people's stuff, you'll be arrested and thrown in jail. But hey, at least you'll have a bed to sleep in and three meals a day. The moral relativism standards in which the lunatic left operates under leads them down dangerous slippery slopes that in the case of politicians lead to hurting the very people that they were elected to help. The San Francisco DA's office has repeatedly said, quote, we're focused on stopping serious repeat offenders, especially violent ones. In other words, they're going to ignore the little ones. Again, applying second grade logic, can anyone guess what public proclamations about crimes that will not be prosecuted result in? How stupid do you need to be not to understand that? On the other extreme, consider Rudy Giuliani's approach as mayor of New York. He demonstrated how the enforcement of petty crimes like window washing of cars, turnstile jumping on subways, and graffiti leads to a more orderly environment and actually decreases major crimes to boot. In preparation for this episode, I read a bunch of articles. The following story from Yahoo News that I'm going to read to you next is a lesson in how left-leaning or liberal outlets report on stories like this that make Democrats look stupid. As you listen, I want you to ask yourself what is not included in this coverage? What important pieces of the story are they conveniently leaving out? The title is, Shoplifting in San Francisco is so out of control that retailers are closing stores. Here we go. Among the many problems plaguing San Francisco in recent years, business leaders say one has become so commonplace that residents barely notice it, shoplifting. Walgreens says petty theft in the city has gotten so out of control that it's had to close 17 of its stores. CVS had told its employees not to intervene because the thieves so often attacked them, calling San Francisco, quote, one of the epicenters of organized retail crime, end quote. Quote, we've had incidents where our security officers are assaulted on a pretty regular basis in San Francisco, Brendan Dugan, head of CVS Retail Crime Division, said in a May 13th hearing with city officials in San Francisco. Police agree that the stealing has become an epidemic. Quote, the one trend we are seeing is more violence and escalating and to be much more bold, Commander Raj Vasawa of the San Francisco Police Department said at that hearing. Quote, we see a lot of repeat offenders, end quote. Even more shocking is the fact that many shoplifters then sell their stolen goods on the street, often not far from the store where they stole them. For example, the Walgreens on 30th Street and Mission Street reported 16 shoplifting incidents from November 2020 to February 2021. Just six blocks away at 24th Street and Mission, a city official said he saw Walgreens products being sold at an outdoor market. This member of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors said, quote, half of Walgreens was on the sidewalk. I'm not kidding. I was blown away. I've never seen anything like it in this city. Meanwhile, local residents are angry at the stores. 
When a Walgreens that had seen 18 stealing incidents in four months announced it was closing, a group of citizens started a petition demanding that it remain open. One of the petitioners said, Walgreens Corporation has an annual revenue of around $139 billion. We think they can afford to keep needed stores like this open. Another said, quote, in the middle of a pandemic and crisis, we cannot allow profit-driven, greedy corporations to further traumatize and abandon their responsibility to the community. Shame on Walgreens. The story goes on. San Francisco has faced a painful set of concurring crises in recent years, including skyrocketing homelessness and an epidemic of drug overdoses. And in 2020, added to all of that was the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah, right. No one else had to deal with that either. It goes on. City officials say all these problems have fueled the rise in shoplifting, but other factors have contributed as well. For one thing, in 2014, California passed a ballot measure called Proposition 47, which deems any nonviolent theft of items worth less than $950 a misdemeanor, not a felony. All right, so that's the end of the article. So what do you think? Was there uh, any mention of the San Francisco District Attorney's willful negligence by announcing to the world that certain crimes will not be prosecuted? Was there the least bit of intellectual curiosity why this shit doesn't go on in other California cities, just San Francisco? So we move from this dysfunctional California story to another one. In September of 2019, the California State Legislature passed AB5, a now infamous bill harshly restricting independent contracting and freelancers across many industries, meaning they had to be paid minimum wage, given benefits like health care and paid time off, and the employers were, of course, subject to other punitive job-killing regulations. See, the regulations on businesses in California are already so onerous that many business owners can only afford to employ people as independent contractors. Even if they wanted to provide benefits to their employees, they can't afford to. If you think I'm exaggerating about how the liberal lunacy in California and the regulations, I want you to do this. The next time you buy something, I want you to look at the label or the disclosure or the instructions and notice how many of them are listed for California residents only. How many are there for other states? AB5 limited the earnings of freelancers, including visual artists, musicians, writers, translators, and film support crews by classing them as employees. It stopped freelance writers from accepting more than 35 assignments from a single publisher and hindered the ability of musicians to accept regular paying gigs. Companies stopped using freelancers in the state as they feared financial penalties for violating the law. What the hell is going on here? We have California legislators, literally, they think that they're like members of the California Politburo as they make central planning dictates like this. Why not 30 assignments from a single publisher or 20? Where, where do they come up with these numbers? The rationale behind this insidious nanny state legislation is that Uber and Lyft and other employers are exploiting their workers. This, of course, is nonsense. Who's forcing these people to work as freelancers? It's a voluntary arrangement. It's called freedom. You do not have to work as an independent contractor if you don't want to. But see, left-wingers, they, they hate freedom. They hate liberty. They want to control your life. In the case of Uber and Lyft, the drivers are making money while the companies are actually losing money. How is that exploitation? Did you by chance catch the not-so-thinly-veiled Marxism, communism, anti-capitalism rhetoric in the Yahoo story and in the explanation by lawmakers why this legislation is necessary? Did you catch the greedy corporations or the exploiting of workers? So back to this AB5 law. 
Thankfully, a little over a year later, in November 2020, the voters approved a ballot initiative, Proposition 22, to exempt key gig economy companies such as Uber and Lyft from punitive regulations, which had nearly driven them out of the state. And the legislature passed another law, AB 2257, that amended the other law, providing greater flexibility to freelancers. So I guess you could say crisis averted, but it still is an object lesson. So let's dissect both of these incidents. Let's consider two questions that these moronic public officials are never forced to answer. What are the likely results of these policies, and who do the policies hurt? In the 1940s, Henry Hazlitt wrote a book called Economics in One Lesson. The breakthrough thought of the book was how, with economic policies, we only discuss the seen and the unseen is ignored. Hazlitt's classic example is public funds used to build a bridge. Everyone sees the workers working on the bridge for months or, or years. Then, when the work is done, they see the bridge for decades. That's the scene. What about the unseen? What could have those dollars spent on the bridge been used for otherwise? What other work could those workers have done? What harm was done to the economy as a whole because those dollars were no longer available in the free market? Let's look at those two questions in regards to the situations that we're discussing in this episode. Rampant shoplifting in San Francisco and the idiotic AB5 freelancer law. Let's ask those two questions. Number one, what is the likely result of these policies? Well, I would argue that everything I've reported in this episode could have easily been determined as the likely result of these policies. Lawmakers owe their constituents an honest, open discussion about these things. And number two, who do the policies hurt? Well, consumers lose. In the case of Uber and Lyft, the drivers would have lost. Companies and shareholders lose. Workers lose. Neighborhoods lose. Commercial real estate suffers. Uber employs approximately 140,000 drivers in California. Lyft employs about 80,000. That's 220,000 working Californians who would lose their source of income in the middle of a pandemic and recession, all thanks to the naive intervention of Sacramento regulators who thought they could plan the economy. Moreover, the millions of Californians who benefit from and rely on cheap, accessible ride-sharing services will be out of luck. Meanwhile, the marketplace is being provided with a great service at a great price. If the company provides benefits, the product will be more expensive and demand will dry up and there will no longer be ride-sharing companies in the state. And in regards to the shoplifting, people no longer want to go to the stores where crimes are committed so brazenly. Nonviolent crimes attract violent criminals and professional thieves. So in the name of some bullshit sentimentality towards criminals, the most vulnerable people become victims. The San Francisco shoplifting story is sick and twisted. Why purposely not enforce the law? Kind of like the immigration at the border right now. We're not enforcing immigration law and what's happening? Nothing good. Who benefits from not enforcing the law? The only people I can possibly think of who may benefit are people who would benefit from chaos. But at the human level, how does the district attorney walk around every day without getting his ass kicked by every normal public servant and citizen who wants law and order? Why aren't these people protesting outside his residence day and night? What the hell is going on? He's an elected official. With little police presence, plus little to no penalty, people who don't give a damn about other people or businesses are more than happy to intrude upon them and steal from them. The resulting plight as shops close and move out of the city and workers end up losing their jobs is huge. It will affect the job market for the entire region because no one wants to sell their goods in a place 
or they're just going to get stolen by somebody looking to resell them somewhere else. So you tell me, what else, other than some form of politically induced mental illness, can explain politicians pushing these types of policies? I call bullshit on all the claims that, well, the legislatures are just are well-intentioned or, or they're just misguided. That's absolute, unadulterated, 100% BS. The laws they pass have consequences. They just don't give a damn. You have lawmakers who never ran a business passing laws that impact business owners. You have one man who allows a crime spree to kill businesses, jobs, and neighborhoods. Any California legislator that voted for AB5 should be primaried immediately. They are willfully negligent and too lazy and too economically ignorant to represent anyone. Minimal effort would have been needed to walk through the likely outcome like I've done over the last 20 minutes. Shit like rampant shoplifting, homelessness, and laws restricting the rights of employers is the same left-wing nonsense like defunding the police. How long would it take to consider the ramifications of the law? The only conclusion I can arrive at is that these people do not care because they are totalitarians or mentally ill or evil or all of the above. Now, I realize that I've mentioned mental illness a few times, but I, I don't throw the term around lightly. Listen to episode 136, The Truth About Political-Induced Mental Illness, where I explain this in detail. So at the end of the day, there's only one question that requires an answer. How can an elected official either vote for or advocate for a policy that they know in all likelihood will hurt their own constituents, as we see in San Francisco currently with their out-of-control shoplifting, and as we almost saw with the gig economy killing bill that was passed in the state in 2019? And that is the truth about leftist lunacy, shoplifting, and Uber. Please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. Podcast.